I'm going to be reading from Malachi 3, 13 to 17. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you here as we continue the sermon series, Summer Shorts. Small books, big questions. Today we're looking at the, uh, the Italian prophet, Malici. No, that's a joke. That was pretty bad. Uh, this is actually the book of Malachi. Yeah, it took you a little while. Thank you. The kind of stuff we joke about in staff meetings. Uh, today we're looking at the last of the minor prophets, Malachi. Uh, what I believe is a really encouraging message for us as a church. Will you bow your heads and pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for these people gathered today. We thank you for those listening at a later date online. Father God, we pray that you would open these scriptures and remind us that we are loved by you, that we are your treasured possession, that you have acted in this world, and you are calling our lives to be lived in response. Fill us up. Lord, we pray for those feeling half-hearted today, feeling weary, feeling discouraged. Lord, fill us up. Uh, We stand with those in celebration uh, that are having uh, seasons of abundance and blessing. Lord, Fill them up too, and may they continue to praise you. Lord, we today give worship to you. In your name we pray, amen. Today is Malachi, the renewal. The renewal. Uh, I would tell you this has been a season, you know, all of us face different stuff at different times. Season maybe a little bit fatigue, maybe a little bit discouragement. And on Monday night, my wife and I got a chance to go to Numo's, uh, which is a rock club on top of Capitol Hill. And we were seeing a Christian band called United Pursuit, didn't know a lot of their music, uh, but we got there early, got a parking spot on Capitol Hill, so we knew God was already favoring us this evening, and uh, went on a date, which was uh, more blessing, and, and uh, we made our way into the, the rock show, and was sold out, packed for this worship experience, and uh, made our way through the you know, waiting list, get into the, the club, and we actually end up going to the second story where we're kind of sitting up above the stage and up above uh, where most of the crowd, about a thousand people had gathered, sold out, uh, just people everywhere. And this this Christian band is playing, and this new album is almost more gospel, and and the song is called You Carried Me. And so the band starts off, no opening act, and they just start, you carried me, holy God of our faith, you are welcome in this place. You are welcome in this place. And they're just playing this over and over. And there's a gospel choir singing with them. And, and uh, you know, Will Reagan, lead singer, is just jamming on it. They keep singing that chorus over and over again. And the door, it's, you know, 90 degrees Monday night. Thousand people shoved together. The doors are all, you know, open. And this music is just pouring out into Capitol Hill. Pouring out across Pike Avenue. Pouring across the, the rainbow crosswalks. Pouring into every part of the city. And the bouncers are there, you know, these... Pretty grisly guys, big Fu Manchu and tatted up, and they're just like, huh, 
you know, we don't see this every night at Numo's. Because normally it's, you know, it's a rock club. And these guys are just rocking out. And it was incredible for me because I, I went that evening feeling a little bit, you know, needing some, some good news or reminding. And seeing this band singing these worship songs, seeing the crowd sing it back, hearing the words echoing across Capitol Hill, it was deeply encouraging and a reminder to me as the pastor that's bringing you this word of God that God Almighty cares for us and longs for us to be wholehearted people, longs for us to experience his healing, longs for us to experience his joy. And in the book of Malachi, we have this beautiful little book right at the end of the Old Testament, which is a precursor to the 400 years of silence. And then the book of Matthew, where Jesus shows up, Malachi promises us that when we're anchored in the truth of who God is, then we are reminded that our actions are lived in response to his love for us. We don't earn our way to God. Our actions are response to revelation. We are called to respond to God. And if we do, when we do, we move from a place of fatigue and feeling half-hearted and feeling exhausted to being filled up, being wholehearted people. Malachi in Hebrew means the messenger. And he brought a message to the nation of Israel that the way that they were living was really kind of half-hearted with their words and with their giving and with their service. And there was a warning there, but the message was bigger than that because the first words and the last words of the book are one of belonging to the Lord our God. And God said, you are my people. Stop living as if there won't be enough of me to fill you up. Stop living in such a way where you're holding back your offerings or your tithes or, your, you know, your gifts. Like, you know, I want you to be wholehearted people, fully experiencing the joy of the Lord. And so this message, which is a precursor to John the Baptist's message about Jesus, who was God incarnate, is supposed to be an encouragement to us this morning. Because in our lives, where we often feel overstuffed and overcommitted and yet still empty, Malachi brings this reminder that when we give Jesus our whole self, will receive this life of joy and healing from Christ himself. And so this is our big idea. Let's look at it together. In the book of Malachi, God challenges a half-hearted existence of giving and of living and instead promises a wholehearted renewal of community and healing and joy through the life of Jesus Christ. The renewal has already been given to us. Our option and opportunity this morning is to receive it and say yes. Jesus, I want that kind of healing. I want that kind of joy. I want to live wholehearted. I'm tired of half-hearted life. Let's look at the first point of our outline. It's a pretty simple message today, really, but it's one that I'm pretty excited to, to bring to you. I wore my, my yellow shirt. It's like, this is as much joy as I can muster up. I'm encouraged because a lot of the minor prophets are reminders of way in which behaviors have been missing God's best. But today, this, this promise is of renewal for our half-empty hearts. So let's look at this first part, the half-hearted existence. That throughout chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Malachi, we have you know, kind of empty sacrifices and then empty words and empty offerings. There's all these, all these kind of reminders that for, from God that what Israel's bringing is really half a full offering or, or, or a, full, a full presence. They're, they're kind of responding out of a fear that God won't show up. And so God anchors the the nation of Israel, in, in their belonging to him. 
Malachi 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Malachi 4, verse 16, you, on the day that I act, you'll become my treasured possession. Beginning and end, God anchors us. Listen, I love you. You're my people. And because of that, I want your behavior to, to be reflective of the wholehearted joy I long to give you. Like, yeah, you're not measuring up, God says, but this isn't some sort of measuring stick where you're trying to earn your way to God. God reminds the people of Israel through Malachi that they are secure in who they are and they belong to God. And we read this as New Testament Christians, and it's like, man, this is what God gave them before Jesus, that that they are loved, that they are the treasured possession, and we get the benefit of, of reading it after the cross. This is encouraging, And so much of the world is trying to discourage us. It's trying to discourage. Take your courage. When you're discouraged, it means the world is stealing your hope. You're discouraged. It means there's probably not going to be enough in your bank account. You're discouraged. There's not going to be enough in your relationships. You're discouraged. There's not going to be enough. we, We can get into the scarcity mindset. And the prophet Malachi, the messenger, says the message from God is, this is a tiresome way to live. This is a tiresome way to exist. Look at chapter 1, verse, verse 13. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. And you bring injured, lame, diseased animals, and you offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord? So they literally, if you read chapter 1, Malachi, the, the, the offering table was where worship happened in the Old Testament. So before Jesus Christ, before, before God incarnate gave himself up as the ultimate sacrifice and earned for us the forgiveness we would never have on, on our own, in the Old Testament, they gave worship to God on the offering table as a sacrifice. They would lay sacrifice. God, I love you so much. Here's a lamb for my flock. I'm going to take the best one, the first one. I'm going to sacrifice it as a, as a belief, God, that, that you long for me to be wholehearted and you'll provide for me. And yet this, this practice has happened through the priests of Malachi. And God's speaking to Malachi, the nation of Israel. Stop bringing me half an offering. Like, it's not enough. I'm not pleased with your leftovers, says God. Like, by God's very nature, God isn't willing to enter into a contract with us. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about where is God when we hurt. We looked at the book of Habakkuk. And you know, what we promise you is that God never wills you to pain because sin is not in God's character. God is holy and just. God cannot will you to get in a car accident. God cannot will you to suffer. Yes, he can allow things to happen as we see in the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. And oftentimes, either by the repercussions of our sin or the repercussions of someone else's sin, we do suffer in this world. But God does not make us sin. That's a heresy. It's impossible. So when we say things in the face of sin, like, well, everything happens for a reason. God must have wanted that baby to die, or dot, 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 dot. It's a heresy. No, God is holy and just and fully able to be trusted, and yet we hurt. We do. That was last week. And this week, God's saying, hey, I'm not in a contract with you. Stop bringing me a lame animal and fulfilling your duty. And if you want to see a recipe for disaster in earthly marriages... Try to enter into a contract with one another. Say, you know, I'll bring my 50%, you know, because a contract's based on behavior and goods and services. You bring your best, I bring my best. Perfect. It'll work out wonderfully. It'll never work out. It'll never work out because we're never at 100%. So if I'm in a contract with you that you will love me if I be, behave a certain way, 
I will fail you. I will always fail you because at my core, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm saved by grace. But if you're, if you're going to justify your love for me based on my behavior, I will fail you. Got to stop bringing me your half-hearted existence. As if I'm, I'm pleased with the half a life you're trying to offer me. I want it all, says God. This is a covenant. I didn't give you half of my son. I didn't give you half of my love. I never gave you half of a place of belonging. No, says God, you are my people. I've called you my own. Like for me, man, I've, got, I've got these children where and there's days you want to see sin, follow my family around. I'm like going gonna, gonna to curse at them. I'm going to be frustrated with them. Like we know sin is real because I've got children and I bless their heart. I love them. But, you know, it's hard. Like it, it's, it's imperfect, but nothing will remove them from the bloodline. Like though there are days where I'm like, huh, Maybe we could just send them away. No, no. But like nothing removes them. Like they're mine. And there's times where it's beautiful. They're mine. There's times where I'm like, oh, they're mine. You know, but like the, the, that's just the way it is. And so God says we're his. And as such, God says, I want your behavior to be lived differently. But stop trying to fulfill some sort of contract with me. And over and over again in first, second, and third chapters, there's a fatigue that sets in when we try to please God in some sort of contractual giving, contractual living. God says, no, you're in a covenant with me. I want your life to be lived differently. I want your worship to be lived differently. Look at uh, Malachi 2, verse 3. Because of you, I'll rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. All right, God, thanks for the visual there. But what's happening here? There's a festival, there's a church service, there's a sacrifice. It all looks good, but God says, but your heart's not in it. And if your heart's not in it, what are we doing here anyway? God says, I'll smear in your face the dung from the festival. Like, wow. God says, I I don't want half of a worship. I want your whole heart. Or how about this from verse 15 in chapter 2? where the nation of Israel stopped discipling their children. Chapter 2, verse 15, has not the one God made you, and you belong to him in body and spirit. Here it is again. You belong to him. You're his. He made you. You didn't earn anything. You're, You're his. Now respond and live into it. Verse 15, what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. There's so much of Malachi talking about that worship of God starts in our home. Well, I'm not married yet. Well, with your roommates and your dating relationships. Well, yeah, well, we have, you know, we want to have one child and it'll be, you know, when we have a kid, then we'll do whatever. When my kids are older, like there's this warning in Malachi, take discipleship seriously. And we are meant to be impacting the generations. We are meant to. Josh Ruhalski, just doing our, uh, he's working with our junior high and high school students. They're, they're, they're right now, he just came back from a Young Life camp. He's taken uh, junior hires to camp. They're starting a Sunday night gathering called Reach. I think we have the new logo. Like he, his whole mission, his whole work with the church is trying to make an impact into the neighborhood, into, into kids' lives. Maybe we don't have the logo. You should see it. It looks great. But it's, the logo doesn't mean anything. It's about relationships. And so we understand as a church that we are called to be impacting the next generation. That's how it's always been. So yeah, well, I want to give money. I want to, Scott, I want to give money to what the church is doing in Rwanda. Wonderful. But if you're not blessing those close to you, 
then you're a hypocrite. And I get it. We're all hypocrites at a level. We're sinners saved by grace. But on most days, are you trying to let the wholehearted nature of the gospel live in your home? That's where it's called to reside. Never forget when we started the church, you know, we're a year and a half in, so much work starting a church. Pretty easy to sit in a classroom and say, you know what a church should be like? Hey, there it is. That's, yeah, nailed it. There it is. That's what we're doing with young people. Reach. It's awesome. Impacting junior high, high schoolers. Working with parachurch organization Young Life in North King County. Reaching into Snohomish County. Just discipling a generation. Like if it's the one thing we do this year, maybe it's, that's the most important thing. Because if kids don't know that Jesus came for them and loves them, we've missed our calling as a church. We exist in a high school. There should be a thousand high school students at these worship services. We have failed at a level. I have. But our hope and focus is passing the baton that the next generation would know that they're loved intimately. So back to my illustration. We're two years into starting the church. And I'm at Starbucks. And this guy's telling me this this uh, story of his uh, salvation story. You know, that's what Christians do. Like, how did you become a Christian? And he's telling me this story. He, he went to Montana, and he left his family, and he stole a Bible, and he lived in the mountains for a while, and he read the Bible, and he got one station on his radio, and was a Christian evangelist, and he went back down to the Bible, gave his, or back down to the town in Montana, gave his life to Christ, drove home. I'm like, dude, that is a good one. Like, I hear these a lot, but like, you got a good one. You know, like I hear other people's stories, like, that's a good one. So this guy, like, he's got a good one. I'm like, hey, you know, do you mind just telling me, like, why did you hate God so much? He's like, sure, no problem. My dad was a pastor. Well, it was, um, it was between 8 and, and 9.30. That was my fourth meeting of the morning in a fourth different Starbucks before we had our offices. We used to just meet in coffee shops. And that morning, as he's saying this, I remember that we had a newborn at home because my wife's a saint and having babies and planning churches. And, and she had asked in that season, she said, hey, could you dial back the morning meetings because mornings are really hard for me. But I'm out there being a blessing in the world, leaving the person who needed me high and dry that morning. I had to apologize for that. As we so often can miss the ability to be wholehearted to those that know us best and be a blessing there first. And then we're called to be passing this baton of like, hey, how can my life be poured out in service of another? How can the next generation know? Some of you, it's writing a check to organizations. Some of you, it's getting involved in serving. Some of you, just praying for the kids of this church. We have over 200 kids that come here on most weeks. Phenomenal. We're not done yet. So pray with us. Stand with us. It's, it's the calling of Malachi. Be a blessing in your community. And then look at verse 17. Watch the power of your tongue. Verse 17, you have wearied the, war, the Lord with your words. Wow, how convicting is that? That as Proverbs says, that there, the tongue has the power of life and death. Some of you are literally stealing hope from others with what you say with your tongue. And that's a hard one. Because we're all guilty at a level. But the call of Scripture is that we're actually meant to be a blessing in the lives of others. And the Lord says we've actually worried him, wearied him with what we say. Our tongues are powerful. 
And then Malachi moves into giving. And a lot of times if Malachi is taught at all, it's taught around this section. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. Beautiful language. Many of you that have been around the church have heard this before. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That's a beautiful verse. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. That echoes what James says, one of my favorite uh, book uh, verses from the Bible, James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. All these the scriptures are presenting that God's hungry for more relationship with us, hungry to move us from half-hearted to whole-hearted beings. And so Malachi says, return to God, and I'll return to you. And you're asked, you ask, how do we return? Will a mortal rob God? How are we robbing you, God? And the answer is in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. See, a lot of us, we want to give God the leftovers. We want to give him what's left at the end of the month after we kind of pay for what needs to get paid for. Or we want to give him kind of the leftovers of our time because we're all super busy. And so maybe there's a minute or two at the end of the day to kind of hand it over to God or... We want to give them what's left over in our relationships or what's left over in our careers. And see, your God, he's not interested in a, in a contract like that. No, he's he set us up in a covenant relationship. He says, I don't want your leftovers. I want your, I want your whole heart. You can even test me, says God. And so we're called to, to be generous as we're able. And for some of us, that's $10 a month. And some of us, it's a multiple. But every one of us is called... To, to, to give back to the Lord. Because money, for most of us, is the thing that we want to cling to most. Because we believe, many of us do, and I'm guilty of this, that money brings security. And so we believe if there's enough of this, then we'll still worship God, but we've kind of, we've layered our nest, so to speak. And so it's good to be wise, and it's good to save, but the Lord is saying, I want to be your number one. I'm not interested in your leftovers. I want you to fully give everything over to me. Your heart, your relationships, your time, your money, I want it all to be worship. And God says, when you do, you will experience the blessing of intimacy. And I don't know if you see that in others, but I, from my vantage point, friends, I get to see, like I, I don't see what anyone gives in the church, but more of like time. And I see people that kind of step out and are generous and step out and ask God to do something with it. And I see fruitfulness. I mean, just last week, I, you know, obviously all these stories are confidential, but I get to be kind of the garter of a lot of the secrets, and I'm seeing fruit in people's lives. Friends, I have to tell you, like it's August the 6th, but I am seeing momentum from the Holy Spirit like crazy because the people that are, are like trusting God with their lives, God's doing a work. Marriages that were struggling are staying together. People are being freed from addiction, and it's not perfect. People are being provided for, and God is getting the credit for it. And so if you want more in your life, God is saying, I am the provider of more. I don't want half of you. I want the whole thing, and I will give you a whole heart. So often, the Christian life, it's almost counterintuitive because it starts to get about our, our effort or our behavior so some of my favorite verses, I just said, James 4, 8, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's, that's good. There's a lot of effort in that, right? Or how about John 8, 12, he must become greater, I must become less. That's good. We like that. It's good. 
But if we're not careful, we make the whole gospel about what we are and what we do, and that is a fallacy. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is while we were still sinners, while we were stuck in our half-hearted ways, God came and gave us, as Ezekiel said, a new heart. I want to give you a new whole heart. So for me, what that looked like was coming home at 18 and giving my life to Jesus, but recognizing I couldn't do this on my own. No, I still had all sorts of temptations and all sorts of ways I was failing and I was going to do it better and I was just failing. And then I started to sing the song. Remember that song from the 80s and early 90s we used to sing? Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. And there's something about this 18-year-old kid that wanted to follow Jesus that found that song profoundly hopeful because it was God doing the work, not me. God, you create in me a clean heart, and you renew a spirit within me. I can't do it on my own. And God said, I will, and I have, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, that we simply are called to, yeah, to give and to live differently, but not trying to earn anything, but simply releasing the fullness of the gospel as it lives inside of us, to be singing, God, you create in me a clean heart. And may I move into more wholehearted experience of living. So let's look at what this wholehearted promise is, this wholehearted renewal given through the prophet Malachi as a precursor to the book of Matthew. We are renewed within this covenant of relationship. Again, I remind you, verse 2, chapter 1, I have loved you. Verse 16, chapter 4, I will make you my treasured possession. Look at verse 16, chapter 4. This is really the heart of the gospel. It's incredible. I'm just even this morning being reminded of the, those who fear the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry, ver, chapter 3, verse 16. Those who feared the Lord talked to each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Now, I've read, I, re, I read this 40 times this week, and I kept missing it. I kept missing it, and I kept wondering, how can I bring this message of renewal to you that won't just sound like you need to do more to experience more of God in your life? And then this morning, I saw it. I saw it. Because verse 17 of chapter 3 of Malachi, Malachi, who would have known? On the day when I act, says the Lord, they will be my treasured possession. See, the pressure's off. Because it's not about my effort. It's not about the day when you finally act, or you, or you. It's God saying, on the day when I act, then they will be my treasured possession. And then we have the benefit of the entire New Testament. Oh, yeah, it's, it's over. He acted. He sent his son in a wholehearted move of covenant relationship while we were still blowing it, saying, I'm going to lay it all down. And Jesus will die and be resurrected so that you might know the fullness of the renewal I came for. On the day I act, says God, you will become my treasured possession. Friends, please know this if you hear one thing today. He's acted. It's done. And our life is merely called to be lived into the response. And so what is the response promised as we, as we kind of live into the renewal of this life? Look at chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Well, I'll just look at verse 2, chapter 4. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. 
So if we're just called to revere Jesus' name each and every day, Lord Jesus, I want to be wholehearted today. May, may I respond to the fullness of your gift in my life. May my life be generous. May I love others. When I blow it, Lord, let me confess. But today, Lord, I want to revere your name. We're promised first this healing. Healing. And, and I don't know what God wants to heal you from this morning. But I do know that the healing for half-hearted people is to move into more wholehearted existence. That we are called to be healing. We are called to be, to be freed from our addictions. We are called to be healed from our ailments. And some of us are like, yeah, I've been praying for decades for this, God. I don't, I don't know. The timing is all God, friends. But we are called to be healed, moving from half-hearted to wholehearted. Because Jesus, as Luke 1 says, is the rising sun who shines on our darkness. And the whole ministry of Jesus was all about taking people that were half-hearted or or half-healthy or or half-depressed or half-possessed and making them whole. And so he wants you to know that he came for your whole heart and to bring real healing when you feel like there's not enough of you to go around or you're tired. Are you tired this morning? Jesus says, let me heal you. And yeah, you're going to strive to enter in and strive to enter in, but let me heal you. And the second thing verse 2 says is this. Those who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Friends, can I just suggest something? I don't think we frolic near enough. There's not enough frolic in our game. We need more frolic, and it's like a well-fed calf. Like, what in the world? Like, don't you wish at some point you just knew what the Bible was talking about? What does a well-fed calf frolicking look like? I mean, how would we even come across a video like that? Where would we see something like that? It's like, if I could just see what a frolicking calf looks like. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh, my gosh. There is a frolicking, well-fed little calf. And then his buddy, oh, there it is, too. All right. Okay. Well, there you have it. Frolicking calves. Thank the Lord for YouTube. All right? But what's happening here? Well, what's happening is first this. Okay, we, uh, any, anyone own a calf? Maybe you guys, but no, I don't think right now. Okay, so we're no calf owners, but in first, or, you know, this is, this is several hundred years. This is 500 BC. This is several thousand years ago. They were an agrarian society, so they would have seen this every day. And the Lord is saying, look in your everyday existence. You see that cow that was just born and is frolicking? Be like that. Yeah, we don't have that as, you know, a frolicking cow. We don't see that in our life. But what do you see? You're called to see God. And for that to bring you joy. The sunrise into downtown. Yeah, you're going to work. But isn't it beautiful near Mount Rainier? The joy of a child on a swing set. The, the intimacy of a group of friends at a barbecue in a backyard. Like, I don't know what you see, but you're called to see what's going on in your life. And may that be moving you to places of joy. Like, you're called to be experiencing in the wholehearted nature of the gospel more joy. We need more joy. Because when the world sees you joyful despite your afflictions, despite what the rest of the world sees as a half-hearted existence, when they see it, they'll take notice. May, may we be a church that experiences his joy. What? Amen? Like, who's for more joy? Anyone else is just me? Okay, yeah, there. We got, like, more joy. 
It's, it's what we're called. We're like released from our sin. We're released from a, a half a tithe. We're released from feeling like we're tired or like there's not enough to go, go around. And, and we're met by the, by the very nature of the gospel each and every day to choose joy. And for most of us, friends, it is a daily choice because you will wake up tomorrow and the world will say, not today. No, not joy today. Not with what's going on in your marriage. Not today. No, Definitely not today. Have you seen what's on CNN or Fox? Not today. No, we're led to believe that joy is elusive, not today. But the scriptures tell us because of what the gospel is to us that we are meant to experience his joy today and experience his healing. And that every one of us, instead of entering into a contract with God being half and half, I want to be a whole person. God, can you restore my whole heart today? Today, Lord, I choose joy. Lord, today I beg you to heal me of my sinfulness, of my anger, of my greed, of my fill in the blank, and that we would be on this journey together. That is a wholehearted renewal that we're entering into the promise of what God has already given us. Because when he acted, we moved. We moved from half an existence to a whole heart. And the renewal that he's begging for us to experience is to be reminded and remembering each and every day that that renewal is real. And he's in the midst of changing our life in tiny little ways each and every day. More joy, more healing, more wholeheartedness each and every day. You know, back to Numo's Monday night. Back to my vantage point in the bar area looking down onto the band, onto this a generation of, of young people praising God. I was like the old guy there. There's a few of us old people. But when people say millennials aren't interested in God anymore, it's a lie. No, there is hundreds of young people praising Jesus. The church needs to be more engaged with reaching young people. And I'm standing there. And the lead singer breaks into one of his songs. And he says, Lord, I give it all to you, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. He just that line over and over again. Lord, I give it all to you, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. And he's singing it. And I'm thinking about these words, and I'm thinking about this moment, and then I see, like I'm watching the band, and then I see the audience. And this message of being wholehearted, even in giving our whole life to God, was wrecking people. Men and women singing, crying, raising their hands, saying, yeah, I want that, God. I, I want to be beautiful. I want to be wholehearted. Friends, hand it over. Hand it over. And may the Lord bless the fruit of your efforts. More healing, more joy, moving into the promise that he, is, he has acted. And we simply get to say yes. Would you pray with me now? Lord God, thank you for these people assembled here, these men and women. We pray these words of Scripture would encourage Lord, may you anchor us in this reminder that we are wholehearted people, that we are yours, and that you loved us. You love us still. And you, like treasured, like your treasured possessions, are calling our, our lives to be lived renewed and helping renew other people because of the joy and the healing that we experience at the foot of the cross. And so now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we pray that we would worship you 100% wholehearted people. Lord, we offer you our lives this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Today as we close with communion,
we're going to do something a little bit different. In the scriptures here in Malachi, it says that those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. Beautiful. Like God actually shows up when we gather. This is why the gathering matters, because God's here and God shows up. And then it says that a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to ask communion servers to go to the three communion stations. And then for those that are, are, are hoping to be wholehearted people worshiping God, I'd ask you to just sign the scroll of remembrance. And that your name is entering into the covenant of which you've already been created for. That by signing your name, you're saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be a wholehearted person. Sign the scroll of remembrance and then step forward and take communion and we know communion was offered on the day in which he's betrayed. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is the bread of, of communion. It'll fill you up. And he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of forgiveness poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Take and eat. And so we approach this table not as members, not as perfect people, not as the, you know, kind of God's done with us. No, we enter as sinners saved by grace. And so if you want to enter into that kind of life with Jesus... Come and sign the scroll of remembrance. Step and serve, uh, be served communion. Know that this meal is one that will never leave you hungry. Let's stand and continue worship together.